Good morning, New Hope. How are you? You all good? Enjoying this warm weather? Yeah? Good. Um, there's a lot of nodding heads there. I know it's been great. Last week, Kimberly and I, we went to Waiheke for our 37th wedding anniversary. It was great. 37 years. Kids came back for Helen, which is really good. I'm really glad and just awesome to be married to such a fantastic woman who is not with me today. I'll tell you more about that later on. But we went over there. Imagine all of us living in one house with uh, all of the grandkids and my kids. It was... But it was great. We had a wonderful time. So thank you so much for um, just allowing Kimberly and I to just have some time together with our family, which we thoroughly enjoyed. It was awesome. I encourage you all... Take time for your anniversaries. Celebrate, because we work so hard. We really do. It's good to celebrate. Kiwis work hard, but one thing I've noticed, we don't celebrate enough. We don't enjoy life as God often intended. Now, today I'm going to kick off a brand new series. And if you want to take out your outlines, one of the great tasks of life is you as a parent, as me as a parent, and as a grandparent... It's helping our kids and those who are meaningful to us figure out, and this is often even our older children too, who they really are. Because how you see yourself affects everything else in your life. Your relationships and your happiness. Your stress level. And it determines your success in life. Now, this search for identity starts really early on. You ask questions like, who am I? I mean, where did I come from? Why am I here? What should I do when I am here? And by the way, every now and again, a little question pokes through. Is there anywhere where I'm going or is this it? Anybody familiar with any of those questions? Can I see your hands if you've ever thought any of those? Okay, nearly everybody. Those of you who don't, just check your pulse. (laughs) All right. So those questions start, though. Here's what's an important point. Start when your little children are young. Very, very young. They start in school, and they will continue for the rest of your life. Now, there's a period of time when you get kind of distracted, too busy to think about them. But every now and again, they'll come back. Our children and teenagers and young adults have pretty much just started back at school. Some have been at university, even through the summer school. And one of the things that they're going to be hit with at school is there going to be challenges to their identity. Who are you? And it's going to be judged by how you look, the clothes you wear, the shoes you got on, the way you wear your hair. They're going to be judged by what's on social media. Problem. Watch that, parents. Watch that. And their faith is going to be challenged as well. Because, see, their faith won't easily fit in with the world's idea of, of, of good identity. So I'm doing a new series called Vital Family Conversations. Vital Family Conversations. Now, you all need to know this as well as your kids. And the reason for that is you need to be able to pass it on to the next generation. Whether you're a brother or a sister. Whether you're an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent or a friend or a student. Today I want to begin the series by clarifying your identity. Now, for some of you, I'm going to drag you all the way back to probably Form 5. What's that these days? I don't know, year 
What's the year is that? Year. Year 11. When you learnt about a man called Blaise Pascal. Anybody remember him? Pascal's Triangle. Remember that? Well, he was actually a very smart educator, physicist, mathematician, and philosopher, and theologian. And he basically said, the only way you're ever going to get to know yourself is by knowing God through Jesus Christ. That's what he literally said. He said, we only know God. The only way you can get to know God is through Jesus Christ. And we only know ourselves through Jesus Christ. And we only know the meaning of life through Jesus Christ. And we only know the meaning of our death through Jesus Christ. It is in Christ we know ourselves. Whoa. Now the Bible kind of says he was... Only in the 16th century. Here's another guy. Paul in the Bible. And this is what the Bible says. And this is really important to get a grip on. Everything. Absolutely everything. Gets started. Here's his words. In Christ. And finds its purpose in him. Now every time we come across the words. In Christ. I I want you to circle those. Because you'd be shocked. The only way you're ever going to get to know who you are or what your purpose is in this life is in Christ because he created you. Now the phrase in Christ is one of the most important phrases in the Bible. I did a little search this week, actually three weeks ago when I started to prepare for this. In the New Testament it is used 89 times and in him is used 79 times. They say, so what? Well, here's what I want to point out to you. We typically think of ourselves as Christians. That word is only used twice in the entire Bible. Twice. Compared to this. 89 and 79. What this tells you, the most common term for a follower of Jesus Christ is in Christ. It describes your identity because you're in. Now, I want to look today, not the 89 of them. I've chosen four. Four of the in Christ I want to drill down on that mark your and your children and your grandchildren's identity. Let's start with Ephesians chapter 1. It is in Christ, there's that phrase. It is in Christ that we find out who we are. That's our identity. See that? Who we are, that's our identity. And what we're living for. That's our purpose. It's in Christ. There it is right there. And if you look at your identity, or you try and look for your identity in the world, you're going to be horribly disappointed. Because about the time you get to what they want, they change the goalposts. You know this is for fashion? This is in, then it's out. Then this is in, and you get that. Or this phone's in, and then that's gone out. You'll never ever get there. It's a mirage. It is in Christ we find out who we are, and what in the world we were made for. In other words, what our purpose for is in life. It is in Christ. So today, we're going to look at just these four descriptions of who you actually are. And you need to learn these. Get them down pat. So that you can pass on the confidence that comes from God. And build confident kids strong, robust, resilient kids who are not blown around by the fickleness of this world, who one minute they love you and the next minute they dispose of you. Four pillars. Think of it like four legs of a chair. And if you get these things in your life, you're going to have a stable life. Number one, the first pillar I want to talk about based on in Christ is this. In Christ, the Bible says, I am three things, chosen, 
I am loved and I am accepted. Chosen, loved, and accepted. Who? In Christ. Certainly not in the world. Think about the royals. One minute they're the heroes, next minute, psst, gone. In Christ, I am chosen by God, I am loved by God, and I am accepted by God. Now, those are three things, three attributes, three things in life that we all want to be chosen. Do you remember how that used to go? Teacher would line you up. Typically, the PE teacher, right? He'd line you all up there, and he'd pick you and you for the captains. Stefan, yeah, you two are the captains. And then what would happen? Us poor peasants would be there waiting for, pick me, pick me, pick me. Because no kid wanted me to be the last one to be picked, right? Remember that? Maybe they don't do that today, but they used to do it in my world. <laughs> Nobody wants to be the last one to be chosen. We all want to be chosen. We all want to be accepted. We all want to be loved. Well, guess what? You already are in God. God chose you. And you're chosen by God. First, you're chosen. Here's what the Bible says. Ephesians 4, verse 1. In Christ, there's that phrase again. God chose us before the world was even made. See, the reason why he made the whole universe and the whole solar system and the whole earth is so that you could have a place for you. And you had that all in mind before he even began. God chose us before the world was made so that we would be his holy people because of his love. Didn't have to. God wasn't lonely. God didn't need anything, but he chose to. You didn't need any children, but you chose to have children, knowing full well that when you had them, they were not going to be perfect. (laughs) So God had already decided to make us his own children through Jesus Christ. And that's what he wanted. And that's what pleased him. I love that. It pleased him to have children. Now according to this verse, look at it carefully. When did God choose you? When was it? Can somebody tell me? Before the world began. That right there ought to make you feel a little better about yourself. You were chosen. You weren't the last. Before the world even came into existence, God chose you. He chose you. He chose your daughter. That shows how important you are to God. Again, 1 Peter 2.9. You have been chosen. I like that. Selected by God. Now that is the antidote to every child's worst fear. Being chosen last on the team. And it is foundational to your identity. You are wanted. My dad did not want me. Neither did he want my mum or my brothers. And some of you know that can really hurt. Some of you have been hurt by rejection. But God chose you. Everybody may... In this world, may reject you, even those closest to you. But God says he chooses you. And you're not only chosen, but you are loved. That's why he says God did it because of his love. You are loved, second part of that verse. Because of his love, God already decided to make us his own children through Jesus Christ. And that was what he wanted. And that's what pleased him. 
Now, will God ever stop loving me and you? No. Look at the next verse, Romans 8. For I am certain and confident, I am certain that nothing can separate us from God's love. Now, unfortunately, in my own family, I know that has not been the case. Human love is fickle. Human love is fragile. But God's love is a whole different dimension. Nothing, not life, nor death. Nor angels, nor demons, nor can separate you from the love of God. Not the present, nor the future, nor the powers of above or below. Nothing in all creation shall ever separate us from God's love for us in Christ. Look at that. For God's love for us in Christ. There's another version of that phrase again. Why can't I be separated from God's love? Two reasons. Number one, it's unconditional. This is not conditional. This is not dependent upon my behavior. Whether I'm having a good mood or a bad mood. God says, I love you in spite of the fact that you don't always love me. And as a parent, you know what that's like. Sometimes, even though you love your kids, they don't all love you back the same. Anybody ever found that? (laughs) Right? God's love for you is not based on what you do. It's based on who he is, which never changes. It's not based on your performance. It's based on his character, which never changes. It's not fickle. It's not unpredictable, which this world and even your boss is unpredictable. Secondly, the other reason why I can't be separated from God's love is eternal. It lasts forever. It's not just unconditional for a moment. It lasts forever. So you're not just loved by God. You're accepted by God. And most people don't realize this. You see, we spend most of our life trying to be accepted by our peers. How does that look? Well, if you have the right type of motorcycle. If you have the right type of hair or the right type of clothes. And you wear the clothes often you do wear because you want to be accepted by your peers. Or you choose your friends. Or the things that you post on the internet because you want to be liked by your friends. Now, the good news is, friend, is that you're already accepted by the most important person in the universe, God. 1 Corinthians 1.30, God alone made it possible for you to be in Christ. How does Jesus make us acceptable to God? You ever wondered that? Well, there's a problem because God's perfect, and I'm not, and probably you're not either. So how does a perfect God let an imperfect person into a perfect place called heaven? Well, something's got to change. Because that doesn't mix. And God says, this is a problem. They can't fix it. I'll step in. I'll take the initiative. And I will come to earth in the form of Jesus Christ and die for the sense that my love and my justice can be satisfied. And this is his gift of grace to you. It's called justification. And this is the big difference. That's a big word. But let me break it down. Justification means just if I was, just as if I had never sinned. That is amazing. So if God accepts you, why do you need the approval of other people? One of the most liberating things in life will be when you finally learn someday, I don't need other people's approval to be happy. Think about that for a moment, because if you 
If you bank your life on other people's approval to be happy, can I suggest to you, your happiness will be very short-lived and fickle and fleeting. So base your acceptance and your happiness on God's acceptance of you. You really don't need other people's approval. You only need the approval of God. So point number one, leg number one, you are chosen, you are loved, and you're accepted. Now, if you, and if you can pass that to your children, and they feel confident and secure in that, they're going to be able to stand up against a lot of external pressure. First leg. Second leg, second pillar of your identity. My value and my worth are priceless. Which is the opposite to what my dad said. I remember the day when he stood in the kitchen and my mum challenged him and she said, what do you want, John? Do you want your beer and your alcohol? Or do you want us as a family? And there were some words that were exchanged and then he walked out the door and never saw him again for 12 years. He thought we were worth less than this. Isaiah 43, 4 says, God says, not Johnny down the road, God says, you are precious to me. You're valuable. Precious is kind of an emotional word which us guys stay away from. It's not a word that we use very often these days. We don't hear people talk about it often, but it means valued and treasured and cherished. And we all want to be loved. We all want to be esteemed and thought well of. We all want to be treasured. How do we know? Oh, by the way, the Bible says there, you are precious to me. How do we know that that's God's feelings about us? Well, first of all, we're all made in the image of God. On the screen there, God says, let us make mankind, man, mankind in our image, in our likeness. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. Notice the binary choice here. He created them. We were made in God's likeness. And that defines us. As surely as the phrase that we've been using, in Christ. Now God isn't a physical being. The Bible says God is spirit. So this is not talking about physical appearance. It's talking about the characteristics of God we're made in his image. To be made in the image of God means, one, we have the capacity for rational thought, not just the instinct of animals. We are exceptionally created. We have the capacity to develop deep spiritual connection to the creator of the universe. That means every single person carries the mark and the spark of God in them. Now this must become an unshakable conviction in you. Because when you understand this, you and every person on the planet has been stamped with the image of God. Anyone made in the image of God is valuable. Regardless of how they function in society. How much they contribute to society. Whether they are born or unborn. Every person has been stamped with the image of God. That is the driving force why we care for weak and vulnerable people. And those on the edges, those that are too sick to contribute to the community through employment. 
Those who are incapacitated in their body and mind or spirit. Today I stand before you was my wife is with our three-year-old today, granddaughter Olympia, who has global catastrophic brain damage. Hypoxic ischemic encephalopathy, short H-I-E. In the world standard, she's worth nothing. In fact, they suggested we take her home to die. They didn't think she'd live three days. In God's eyes, she's valuable and precious, and in our eyes, she's, got, she's precious. Those who cannot speak their own name any longer. And I see some of those sometimes. Sometimes on a Friday with our small group. They can't put a spoon in their own mouth because it shakes too much. Or those who have not yet been born and have not made a miserable contribution to our society. All of those people are marked and stamped with the image of God. Our identity is we bear the image of God, different from any other creature on God's planet. So the second way we know that our value is priceless to God is because Jesus died for us. There used to be an old saying, Jesus didn't die for junk. All of our sins, all our rebellion against God and his right to rule in our lives, he took the penalty for. So Jesus paid for all our sin in that moment and he took the penalty and paid the ransom that we should have paid. Because God can't just wink at sin. There has to be justice. All of us want justice. Because guess what? Justice isn't always done on this earth. 1 Peter 1.18 says, You were rescued from the useless way of life that you learned, but you were, weren't ransomed by silver or gold, but, here it is, with the precious blood of Christ. And God says, I'm going to use something that is really valuable to me, super precious to me, the lifeblood of my son to rescue and redeem someone else who is highly esteemed and valuable and precious to me, you. And that was me. Because of the high price that Jesus is willing to pay for us, the Bible is telling us that we belong to God. Look at this. 1 Corinthians 7.23 You have been bought for and paid for, excuse me, bought and paid for by Christ. So, you belong to him. Now in the world of provenance, or value, provenance really matters. In other words, if I had a car, and it's just, oh no, let's choose a car. A Corvette. And that's Corvette, now that's worth a bit of money. But the next minute I say, hold on, that, that was bought and owned by Elvis. All of a sudden, the value of that car just shot straight through the roof. Straight through the roof. Why? Because ownership affects value. Who owns it? If you've got a handkerchief, some people pay foul or a guitar. If it's been used by Eric Clapton, it's worth a whole bunch more than it's been used by Louis Eadie's music. The Bible says Jesus bought and paid for us and our lives belong to him. So our worth and value comes from belonging to God. Ownership makes all the difference in the world. That identity strengthens us to live in this world in a confident way. Now there's a third pillar of these four legs on the table 
that you identify, that, that sets up your identity, your self-worth is based on. And the third leg of this table is this. In Christ, I have something to offer the world. Your child has to learn life is not all about them, but they have something to offer the world. We start off being very selfish. Me, 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 me. My toy. My bottle. But God's wired is in such a way that he wants us to make a contribution with our lives, with the gifts he's given us. Why? Because God didn't create anything without a purpose. Nothing without a purpose. And that purpose is to make a contribution to the world. And he uniquely shaped you, different to you, different to me. Yet many people spend their entire lives trying to replicate the life of somebody else, trying to carbon copy themselves of somebody else. Something that they're not. That's stressful. <laughs> Let me show you some things from the Bible. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are each God's masterpiece. A masterpiece is a work of art that's spent a lot of time on. And it's a one-off. After it's made, the mold's thrown away. One-off. He said, I made you to be you. Not person B or person C or person D. You don't have to be somebody else or act like somebody else for God to smile at you. He made you to be you. Young people, listen to that. You are you. Don't try and copy anybody else. He's much smarter than you and I, and he's created you for a purpose. We are God's masterpiece. It goes on. He created us in Christ Jesus, there we go again, to do the good things he planned for us in advance to do with our lives. That's called God planning your contribution that you would make or your ministry. The Bible says we're each created, we're each God's masterpiece created to do what he planned, what he planned us to do. Now that, friends, right there, is real success. That's, that's it. If you're created to do that and you do that, that's not success. Because ultimately we're answerable to this. That means, some people think, for example, you can just make a ton of money and that's success. No. You can, do a ton, you can make a ton of money and walk completely away from the contribution and the goal that God had for your life. And that is not success. Here's another verse. 2 Corinthians 3. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything coming from us. In other words, the more we promote ourselves, the more we obscure the person and the work of Christ. The more obscure we do that. But our sufficiency is from God. And he has made us sufficient to be ministers of the new covenant. Even the ability to serve God graciously comes from God. And Paul's confidence was not founded in his own human ability, but in God's ability. So what you need to start doing, and parents, start thinking even for your children. Each of your children are like little, they're not all the same. They've all got different abilities and personalities, and they, they, they approach things differently. You need to be the best students of your kids so you know where their strengths are and encourage them in their strengths, which will be different to A, B. I have four kids. They're like talking cheese. Even though they're peas from the same pot, they're all very different. 
and it will be very wrong for me to have a standard approach. My job as a dad has always been to figure out what this kid has been gifted by God with and steer them in that direction. Not to take somebody who's bent like an engineer and trying to make him, I'm taking extreme here, make him an artist or an artist and try to make him an engineer. That would be a disaster. So you need to start discovering the shape that God has made your children and you. I was thinking about this the other day. I was starting to vacuum my car and I picked the thing up and hit the button and nothing's going. What the heck? And of course, the typical problem, they come out the other end. Vacuum's useless unless it's plugged into the source of power. Now God has put capabilities for ministry and your contribution in life, and, but they will be ineffective and unproductive unless you plug into God's power supply and step out in faith. And let the Spirit energize those gifts for His glory. Now if you're depending upon yourself rather than God, that's when you get insecure. And when somebody encourages you to do something for God, and you go, well, I'd like to, but there's no way I can, that's shrinking back. Friend, there is capacity for ministry, but it needs to be plugged into God's power for the master's use. Philippians 4.13, which is often horribly misused and misquoted. I've chosen the amplified version for this one. I have strength for all things, not just some things. For all things in Christ, there's that phrase. Not on my own power. I have strength for all things in Christ who empowers me. I am ready for anything. I'm equal to do anything. Through him infuses me with inner strength. I am self-sufficient in Christ. Sufficiency. So whatever Christ has for you to do, he will supply the power. The capacity is there, but you have to get plugged in. You have something to offer the world, and there are three reasons for that. Number one, God wired you with a capacity to fulfill his plan. Number two, you're in Christ. He gives you the strength, if you're in him. And three, God's spirit empowers you to do what nobody else can do for his glory. So stop comparing yourself. So stop comparing yourself. So stop comparing yourself. Stop comparing your salary. Stop comparing your your employment. Stop comparing your house. Stop comparing your spouses. Stop comparing your children. Stop comparing performances on the sports field. We should all encourage our kids to do the best that they can do. That's no excuse for mediocrity. But you have to come to a place where you stop comparing. Because here's what happens. When I compare... I either get two choices. Oh, I'm better than them. Attitude of heart, pride. Or, whoa, I could never be as good as them. Depression. (laughs) Be careful about comparing. The world makes a sport of it. The fourth pillar of your self-identity, and the last one, write this down, is in Christ. I am totally forgiven. Totally forgiven. Romans 8.1, there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You know what? I want you to read that verse with me and read it with enthusiasm. Let's just read that short verse, Romans 8.1 together. Let's read it. There is now no condemnation for those who... That is one of the most liberating verses in the entire scripture. The weight of guilt and anxiety and frustration and regret can go. You don't have to live with that. 
Because when you come to Christ, there is no longer any condemnation. You are totally lock, stock, and smoke and barrel forgiven. Two ways we know that to be true. One, it's God's nature to forgive. It's who God is. Isaiah 43, 25 says, God says, I am the one who forgives you. Excuse me, forgives your sins. And I do this. Why? Why do you do that? Why would you forgive me, God? Because of who I am. This is nature. I will not hold you, your sins against you if you accept Christ as a payment for those sins. If you don't, you're on your own. That's a very powerful thing to grab onto. God says right there in that verse, look at that, I am a forgiver. This is nature. But it's tempting. Have you noticed how tempting it is to remind everybody else of their sins? <laughs> of some past offense? This often happens, just to refresh you couples' memories, is when we're in a fight and we're losing. So what we do is we bring up some past offense to add some additional ammo to the argument. Huh? You wait, you young fellas, you're going to remember that. My point is this. It's really easy and tempting to remind somebody else of a past offense. But God says, listen, I forgave you, so you need to forgive. Second way that we know that we're totally forgiven in Christ is this, Ephesians 1.7. In him, here we go again, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the richness of his grace that he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Because of what Jesus did for us on that cross, we have forgiveness of sins by God's grace. Fully, freely, that, friends, is an amazing gift. When it comes to forgiving me, forgiving you, well, that's a different story. Mm, I have to think about that. (laughs) I'm kind of holding back on that a little. Look at this, Ephesians 4.32. God says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. Now, kindness, that means acting charitably and benevolently towards one another, as God has done towards us. He took the initiative. Compassion, that next word there, means it's a generous sensitivity and heartfelt sympathy for the needs of others, and it characterizes God. And then we believers must also be constantly forgiving one another. Constantly. Why? Because we blow it some. We irritate each other a lot, right? Notice that? (laughs) Even as God in Christ forgave you. So God had to give up his only son to forgive us. We have nothing to give up but our own selfish nature and our own unwillingness to forgive those who've wronged us. Let me put it another way. You will never have to forgive anybody more than Christ has forgiven you. As parents, we have many opportunities to model God's forgiveness. Sometimes, good kids make bad decisions. Now, we can either jump on them with both feet, take away everything forever, (laughs) banish them to whatever, and thereby distort the way that God forgives us, or we can use it as an opportunity after they have repented. That means change their mind. Okay, Dad, I was wrong. Repentance means a kid's going this way. He doesn't just say sorry and carry on going. He goes, repentance literally means, hmm, I was wrong. 
I'm going to walk back this way. That's going to happen. Otherwise, they're just dreaming. Your job as a parent to figure out have they really repented? Have they stopped? I think, yeah. My mum used to say, no, no use saying sorry unless you do something about it, dear. When us three boys were squabbling. So after they repent, we have an opportunity to offer grace and mercy as we build their identity. We don't trash them because we aren't perfect either. Notice that? We discipline to correct. We don't go after them in anger because we start to say things and do things that we should never do or say. Because once it's out of your mouth, it's hard to get it back. Not about you, but for me... There were some things in my life I wish I'd never said. As we wrap this up, everybody in life at different times has felt, and your kids are going to feel this, the pain of rejection. And they're going to go like this. Hmm, what do I do? Do I continue to feel this pain of rejection from these people? Or have I got enough strength, have I got enough strength to keep feeling that when they're trying to get them to do things you don't want them to do? It's called peer pressure. Because people are fickle. Fickleness of human acceptance and love is prevalent in our society. And the antidote to combat that rejection is to let the truth of God's love permeate your soul first and then their soul. Everybody's heard that phrase, the truth will set you free. But they don't know the full verse. Here it is. If you continue in my word, the Bible... If you continue my word, then you'll be my disciple and you'll be my followers and then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Friends, let me be really clear to you. The truth is not on TV. That's setting you up for problems. It's setting up the wrong set of values, the wrong... I mean, you look at it, most of it is, oh, if you buy this car, people will accept you. If you look this way and use the oil of you lay, you look like me. <laughs> Beauty positions, status. The truth is not on TV, friends. It's not on Netflix either. I highly encourage you, use Right There Media for some of the stuff for your kids. Put some positive stuff into your kids' lives. I can honestly say here this, I didn't plan to say this, but of my four kids, none of my kids have ever had nightmares. And there's a reason for that. When they were young, I mean, it sounds a bit ridiculous, some of you are going to kill me. But when the Lion King first came out, we didn't know what it was about. And we didn't want our kids to be terrified. We previewed the Lion King first. We were careful. Look, if you thought there's some dodgy food, you kind of say, let's keep it. You look carefully about what you feed your kids, what's going into their minds. And we're going to talk, we're going to have a whole session on digital consumption in this series. It's coming up. You have to be on that, you guys, what people are doing. Research shows that the way you feel about yourself is largely determined by what you think the most important person in your life thinks about you. So friends, I highly recommend that you make Jesus Christ the most important person in your life. Does that make sense? Why? Because he's already told you, I have chosen you, I love you, and I accept you. You have a contribution to make in your life, and your value is priceless. You are forgiven And that, my friend, is your true identity. When you settle your true identity, you become impervious 
to peer pressure, which is what you want to make your kids impervious to. Because you know who you are and what, how you're supposed to live and what you're supposed to do with your life. You're not what your peers say. You're not what the world says. And you're certainly not what the social media says. You're not what the bullies and the thugs say at school. And you're not what you tell yourself when you condemn yourself, self-condemn yourself. You are what God says because he's your creator and he knows the truth. And his truth will set you free. The reason why this is important is that the day will come when your children will have to stand alone and stand up against moral issues. You have to prepare them for the fight. If my kid's going to go into a karate match, we're going to have several workouts at the dojo. Quite a few, probably every night until I get into that match. Your kids are going to face some tough battles in life. Prepare them for those. Spend the time. This is far more important than the extra few hours at work. Far more important. I just want to finish on this. It is liberating to know that finally you don't have to live your life needing other people's approval. By the way, one of the ways that you identify with Jesus is through baptism. And next week, on the 23rd, we have a baptism in our pool. Baptism says, I've died to the old me, and here's the new me, a brand new one. Last verse in your outline, 2 Corinthians 5.17. When anyone is in Christ, it's a whole new world. The old things are gone, including the guilt, the shame, and the condemnation. The old things are gone, and suddenly everything is new. If you'd like that, a whole new world, like starting over again, like it's in golf. Sometimes you need a mulligan. <laughs> you have another shot. Because the first one was terrible. <laughs> or certainly didn't need to to what you meet your expectations so it all starts where are you in Christ let's bow our heads thank you Father that you can bring beauty from ashes you can heal broken hearts you can heal bitter memories and you can heal damaged self-esteem. Thank you, Lord, that the patterns in our minds can be reversed. And you can turn people that feel like nobodies and into somebodies. Jesus, I'm asking you to help my friends. Those, these dear people who... To see themselves as you really see them through your eyes of love. Perhaps you would want to say something like this in your mind. Christians would call us a prayer. Maybe you want to say in your mind, I want to be in Christ. Would you help me to see myself the way that you see me, Father? Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Now, I don't understand at all but I do want to be in Christ. And I want to start living this new identity in Christ. Would you help me to care about what you see more than what other people say or think about me? I pray, Lord, your truth would set me free 
And the rest of my life, I want to be a God pleaser, not a people pleaser. Because I realize people are fickle, but you are faithful. Now I'm going to ask everybody here to think clearly about these truths with me as I read them aloud one last time. Because I'm in Christ, I am chosen by God. I am loved by God. And I am accepted by God. And in Christ, my value is and worth are priceless. In Christ, I have something unique to offer the world that you planned for me to give before the foundation of this world. And in Christ, I am completely forgiven. Thank you, Lord. Amen.